0: Annika, my boss said as we stood outside of our office building in one of Paris's, shall we say, less glamorous neighborhoods. It was early March, and I wrapped my coat tightly around me, shivering both from the freezing cold and the news I had just delivered to her. Rewind to two days earlier. I had just found out that my French boyfriend had been unfaithful for weeks. Shocker, I know. I was spending more money on renting a Chambre de Bonne than I was making. My meal vouchers, part of my remuneration for my internship, had been stolen from my desk the week prior, leaving me quite literally without my lunch money. And to top it all off, I had been sick with a deep, raspy cough and unpredictable fever for weeks. No doctors since I didn't have health insurance in France anymore. I was literally schlepping myself through my days, mentally, emotionally. And physically. To most people, living in Paris is a rosy dream of long strolls along the Seine, sipping coffee in sidewalk cafes, and biking around Ile de la Cite with a baguette sticking out of their bike basket. As an underpaid, sick, hungry, and heartbroken 22 year old nonprofit intern, it was a nightmare. The night before the conversation with my boss, I lay in my dark room on the seventh floor under the roof near Gare de l'Est. My little space heater was cranked up as high as it would go, and I was coughing my way through the early night. That's when it hit me. The meager pay and alleged value of a crappy internship with this nonprofit were not worth what I was putting myself through. Week after week, I was going into financial debt for the privilege of being miserable. Once I admitted this to myself, I realized how desperate and yet ridiculous this whole thing was. Ever so slowly, I allowed myself to imagine what life would look like if only I had the guts to quit. And once I had imagined it, morning couldn't come soon enough. The next day, I almost rushed into work. And when my supervisor announced her first smoke break of the day, I eagerly jumped out of my seat announcing I wanted to come. She knew right away something was up. The walk downstairs seemed to take hours, but once I'd uttered the words, Je quitte, I quit. A stream of reasons and arguments and a few emotions poured out of me like a river after the snow melts. Needless to say, she was not impressed. I, on the other hand, was quite impressed with myself. The relief of putting myself out of that misery was so enormous that it had pushed me past my fear of quitting in the first place, and I was finally back in the driver's seat of my young life. And this, my friends, is how I quit a job for the first time. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. In this season of Ecosystems for Change, I'm talking to my guests about their experience with quitting. As much as I dislike quitting, I really do – I understand that as part of life. We evolve and so do the circumstances, organizations and people around us. As we uncovered in season two, ecosystems are complex adaptive systems. They are constantly shifting and changing. And as a result, people move in and out of them at different times. As builders who like to start new things, it's only logical that every time we start one thing, we technically have to quit something else To create space for this new thing to flourish and thrive. In season three, we heard firsthand accounts of what happens when we don't. When we keep piling on, trying to squeeze one more ounce of productivity out of ourselves because we somehow feel like we want to do it all. I have come to believe that quitting is normal, healthy and simply part of the natural cycle of progress. And yet somehow it is taboo. Quitting anything often is equated with not working hard enough, not doing enough, not trying hard enough, or giving up too easily. When I caught up with Michelle Arevalo-Carpenter earlier this year, we talked about how quitting is often perceived at first sight. After eight years of building Impacto in Ecuador, she felt it was time for her to move on. The idea that quitting somehow is a sign of failure, of suddenly not caring about the cause anymore means that many of us passionate changemakers hang in there much longer than we should or want to. In case you didn't listen to the most recent episode, here's what Michelle said.
1: Basically, I, I'm looking to build up a narrative of why something ends. And I don't know if it's everywhere else, but in Latin America, we tend to be dramatic. And I think that's the building up of a collective narrative of how how one might close a cycle in a way that is planned, in the way that gives the founder agency in a way that offers you know generosity and 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 love uh as part of this of closing a loop was uh, was a big part of, of of how we did this but then it also became a big part of why why it was important for us to model a full cycle for our own community of other of, of founders and then i think more more specifically like you know asking that question why what happened you know there's like a, a number of different answers but it all started in Probably deeper in my heart, um, as part, uh, you know, as a result of me being part of the very cool community that most startup founders should look at and especially change makers, um, and the wellbeing project, uh, you know, pulls together a, a, a global community and network of people that want to make, do a double click on what is it like to be a change maker and why is it that so many change makers, so many people that want social and environmental change have such terrible outcomes in terms of their own mental health, um, you know, I realized it's like, okay, there's something here to, to dig deeper into, because I wonder if this is going to catch up to me. And when your identity gets diluted into a bigger project, into a bigger community, that is when the inner work needs to start. Um, I really was yearning to explore that, and I understood that that is something that I needed to, to take the leap, that having the ring on me <laughs> um, as I'm exploring it wouldn't work. So I figured it's, it's, it's a very good time to also remove myself from this and just see, see what happens. See if, if we've done our work right, then our communities should transcend us. And uh, I
0: wanted to put that to a test. When I quit this French nonprofit 15 years ago, a much less meaningful or important position, part of me feared that I was letting down our beneficiaries whose lives I was so desperate to save. As if there wasn't another eager intern just waiting in the wings, willing to work the long hours at meager pay. And another after that. And another one after that. I'm really not a big fan of the internship system, in case you hadn't noticed. Anyway. It took me over a decade to realize that the social impact world will continue to turn, even without me in it. The gears and wheels of the ecosystem will keep turning, and if I leave, that void will be filled by someone else. It won't be quite the same, but it will continue on. That's simply how complex systems adapt to change. Simon Sinek, who some of you may know from Start With Why and his work around building a purpose-driven life and career, published another book a few years ago that explains this idea much more eloquently than I ever could. I first heard Simon talk about the idea of the infinite game on a podcast. Then I devoured the audiobook. Then I studied the hardcover front to back. He had, without his knowing, written a book about ecosystem building. For about a year, I gifted this book left and right, and it remains one of the best books about ecosystem building, if you ask me. So let me walk you through the basic premise. A finite game is your typical soccer match or game of chess. There's typically some kind of time limit, a predetermined number of players, and it's played by certain rules with one goal in mind. Winning. Which inadvertently means that the other party loses. In an infinite game, it's the complete opposite. First... There is no time limit, hence, infinite game. We do not know who other players are or how many of them are playing. And what's worse, new players can enter any time without even announcing themselves, while other players can step out of the game at the drop of a hat. In an infinite game, there are no standard rules that everyone agrees on. In an infinite game, there's no winning or losing. The objective is simply to play, be part of it, effect change as long as you're playing, and to stop playing when you run out of either the internal or external resources to play. In the words of Simon Sinek, on page 7 of his book, in a finite game, the game ends when its time is up and the players live on to play another day, unless it was a duel, of course. In an infinite game, it's the opposite. It is a game that lives on and it is the players whose time runs out. Because there's no such thing as winning or losing in an infinite game, the players simply drop out of the game when they run out of the will and resources to keep playing. While Cynic's book focuses on building organizations with an infinite mindset, the concept easily translates into our work as ecosystem builders. In ecosystem building, there is no set of fixed rules to which everyone has agreed, other than the law of course each one of us have our own tactics and strategies on how to connect key players create serendipity build trust and foster collaboration in ecosystem building we may not know all the other players and new ones can join anytime while others leave without announcing their departure and maybe most importantly in ecosystem building there is no such thing as winning or losing We, the players, simply drop out of the game when we run out of the will and or the resources to keep playing. What this leads us to is this. As idealists and eternal optimists, we play the infinite game of ecosystem building until we either lose the will or ambition to play or we lose the external resources to keep going. That means the financial means, the support of our communities or organizations, or the very job that enables us to build ecosystems on the day to day in season 2 jeff bennett shared very openly what happened when his resources were depleted
2: i think anybody who's done ecosystem building for very long knows that it's a very can be a very frustrating experience and thing to do especially if you're doing it as a you know like i am and like many do as a as their own small nonprofit say. If you're part of a bigger organization or government or a university, it may not be quite as frustrating. Uh, although I, I've heard that's debatable, but it's very frustrating at the, at the local level to try to get traction, to try to get support and funding to do the work. So there's that frustration. There's also it's it's a slow process, and I think I made the big mistake. Big of of trying to do too much too fast. I think, you know, Britt going back to Bradfeld, you know, he says take a twenty year approach and be patient. And I think I really screwed up there because I expected to make changes faster than I should have expected them to at the local level. And then the same thing applies at the at the field level where like you said, trying to grow the field of ecosystem building, I was again very impatient. Um and I think we need to foster some patience because burnout is absolutely real. I've, I've been there. I'm there. I'm actually right in the meat of being burned out with this right now. And, and at the point, we're not going to be able to continue to do all I'm doing for much longer.
0: Jeff and I talk regularly, and I can confirm that since he was last on the show, he has handed over the reins of Startup Sec and is now semi-retired. In season four, Rick Tarosi gave us a hint of what it looks like when your resources dwindle.
2: You've spent 15 years working on this particular sector. That wasn't wasted time. And, and I, I, as I said, I've learned a ton and I've really enjoyed it. But I, it feels like in kind of Sisyphean mythology, it feels like the rocks rolled back down the hill again. And I'm not so sure I want to try and roll it back up. This time, it might be better to start pushing a different rock that has a few more people pushing on it.
0: That's what I want to talk about in season five. I'm sitting down with ecosystem builders who stopped playing, either temporarily or for good. I want to find out what led to the depletion of their resources, either internal or external or both, and if there's anything we can do to change course and stop that depletion. I don't know about you, but I'm super curious to hear what comes after, as hard as it is for me to imagine there even is a life after ecosystem building. What happens when you decide or you're forced to step away from your life's work? We'll get a little closer to an answer in this season. I mentioned earlier that the system will adapt to the loss of a player, the ecosystem builder. But of course, that doesn't account for the emotional, mental, and psychological cost of losing a passionate and deeply invested ecosystem builder. Conceptually, the infinite game moves on without the missing player. But having witnessed a handful of those losses firsthand, I can tell you that the communities are never quite the same. An ecosystem builder dropping out can affect the remaining players long term. I've said it before and I'll say it again, so turn on your listening ears. We cannot afford to lose these few passionate changemakers among us to burnout or because they can't sustain themselves doing this important work. Ecosystem builders who feel called to serve their communities are in short supply. And in this season, I want to figure out if there's anything we can do to keep them playing in this infinite game of ecosystem building. Come join me and hear the stories of some of our MVPs. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Setula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to Ella's past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.